Hello, listeners. Welcome to The Extra Unordinary, a podcast where extra people talk on ordinary media. My name is Addison, and we have a special episode tonight. I am doing an interview with Dayton, Ohio filmmaker, Henrik Kuto. Hello, Henrik. Hey, Howard. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, I'm... uh... I'm almost entirely off the Pepto Bismol from uh, from what it's like running a uh, a crowdfunding campaign. <laughs> oh yeah, you are doing a crowdfunding campaign. Right. And that wasn't just a seamless transition to talking about it either. I legitimately, I just it just ravaged my inside. So I've been I've been uh, abusing Pepto Bismol for the last few days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so. As you just mentioned, your uh, Kickstarter campaign. Do you want to tell us what that's about? Sure, I can talk about that real quick. Uh, basically, um, about five years, I uh, I made a, a horror film. I'm a filmmaker. Uh, that's what I, I do for a living. And uh, I made a horror film called Babysitter Massacre, which uh, at the time of making it, we, we didn't really know much about what would happen with it, but it ended up uh, becoming relatively successful it was uh the last independent film on the shelves of blockbuster video and uh it was on amazon prime right when amazon prime started uh the amazon prime video so uh this kickstarter is actually to fund two sequels to babysitter massacre to basically create a babysitter massacre franchise so uh it launched um gosh uh uh, it, it technically it launched Monday. We're working this on the Wednesday after it's launched, so it's about three days in, and we're actually at seventy percent of our goal as of the recording of this. That is insane. Uh, you're telling me, <laughs> uh, but I don't. I don't uh, count chickens before they hatch. That's kind of uh, one of my uh, one of my things. Is that I'm very when it comes to. Uh, to business when it comes to uh, things like that. I'm extremely conservative about how I handle it. So, uh, you know, until it says 100%, we are not successful in my eyes. No, I completely understand that, especially with a Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, for those who don't know, it's all or nothing. So uh, we're, our goal is $13,000, and if we don't raise that, we'll get a dime. And this is my fourth Kickstarter and my fifth crowdfunding campaign because uh, my first one was done on Indiegogo, which was a little bit different. Where if you if you fail, you still get the money. Um, and uh, I moved over to Kickstarter because I kind of like the all or nothing element. It, it creates a a good sense of urgency. Unfortunately, a lot of that sense of urgency is created in my own mind, uh, <laughs> not necessarily in the audience. So uh, it was funny. I was talking to a friend the other day. I think it was pretty about about how uh, you know I was I was kind of worried sick. And they were like, uh, and they were like, "Why are you worried? You're so good at running these." And I'm like, "I'm so good at running these because I worry so much." <laughs> That's the secret. It is a never-ending cycle. It, it's true, and, and uh, one thing a lot of people don't realize is running a crowdfunding campaign is is a job for the entire month or however long you run it. This one's running 32 days, um, so we got 30 days to go right now, and. Uh, I mean, you have to you have to baby it, and you have to promote it, and you have to uh, and you have to talk to people about it, and you have to answer questions for people who are interested in contributing. Um, 
and you have to keep people abreast of what's going on. And you also have to like, walk that fine line where you're hoping that you're not being absolutely positively annoying. But there's no real way. So, uh, but I am, I, I can't uh, express how happy and thankful I am for the fact that we're already at 70% of our goal. Um, you know, I'm very hopeful that we'll reach our goal and even surpass it a little bit. You know, at this exact moment, I feel pretty confident that we'll reach our goal, but, uh, and even hopefully surpass it a little bit. But at this exact moment, uh, no chickens will be counted. So. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's the smart thing to do when you think of filmmaking from the business side. Because all, all films, no matter how small or how big they do, need to reach their financing goals. No, absolutely. Uh, I once heard, I think it was uh, Jack Nicholson said that a filmmaker that doesn't understand money is like a uh, sculptor that doesn't understand clay. So, so That's very true. Uh, well, I mean, unfortunately, well, I mean, not unfortunately, because we live in a world now where, thank goodness, you can make a movie for basically nothing if you have the gumption and the creativity. You oh, know, yeah. the, uh, the original Babysitter Massacre was made for much less than we're raising right now. But the reason we're raising this kind of money now is to make something a little bit more impressive um, because there's a demand for it. To make something with a little bit more about it. So, I, uh, I'm i just uh, really excited. Uh, I, I, If you'd ask me Right after we'd made Babysitter Massacre, if I thought there would ever be a sequel, let alone two sequels, I would tell you probably not. That was my that was my exact stance uh, at that time. Was uh, I don't think we're going to be. I don't think we're going to be making another uh, another movie. But here we are. You know, it's been almost six years since we shot the movie. Five years since it's come out, and the the outpour is uh, is very clear. So uh, <laughs> there will indeed in in next year be two sequels to Babysitter Massacre. That's so cool. I sure hope so. <laughs> I got to write it. And then we got to produce it. Um, but so that's kind of the, that's the next step. That's what's kind of laying in to me right now. Like, okay, so it looks like we're probably going to make the goal. So while I'm campaigning, I need to start thinking about getting the script completely ready and getting uh, actors in, in order and getting the locations in order and just getting back to the, you know, the normal everyday uh, pounding the pavement that is making movies. So. Exactly. And so now that you're starting this campaign to get funding for your future movies to make it a franchise, would you like to talk about your beginnings into filmmaking? Absolutely. Um, well, you know, it all it all starts as it seems to often start. It all starts with being a kid with not a whole lot of friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how all creativity kind of starts. It, it sure does seem that way. And uh, I actually um, recently, about three months ago, uh, put out a, a Blu-ray collection uh, called The Backyard Legacy, which was literally um, uh, 10 hours-ish of all of the little movies I'd made as a teenager. Uh, because as a young person, uh, I spent all of my time at the community access station uh, being at the time their youngest producer. Uh, so I would be 12 years old making these little, um, you know, crappy TV shows and, and they would air on community access. Um, and that was kind of where it began. I just, I always wanted to have a camera and I always wanted to, uh, 
be you know recording things and making little shows and and whatever else I could and eventually that you know that definitely led me forward to make movies so by the time I was about 15 or 16 years old uh well when I was 15 years old I made my first like little backyard short and uh it wasn't enough to make uh, the movie. I had to make the movie, edit the movie, and then put the movie on a DVD and sell it for cash. That was uh, that was something I just had to do. It just it was made sense to me as a young man. So uh, I started selling them. I would uh, literally uh, buy DVD, you know, recordable DVDs, and I would buy. Um, I would have uh, sleeves printed at my mother's work, and because uh, it was free. Uh, and then I would have, I would go to, uh, the blockbuster video nearest me and I would dumpster dive the DVD cases. Oh. <laughs> uh, in those days, uh, when blockbuster was around, what they do is they had their own blockbuster DVD cases. Oh yeah. Um, so they would, they would, when the movies would come in, they would actually take the sleeves out of the original case, put it in the blockbuster case and then put all the cases in the trash because there was no need for the old cases. So I figured that out. Um, and started uh, pilfering the, the dumpster. So I would walk through the hallways of my high school um, with a trapper keeper full of DVDs that cost, you know, 45 cents a unit, and I would sell them for 6 or $7. And that is how a, uh, a very, very bizarre entrepreneurship began. Um, well, that's so. one way to do it. It is. It's one way to do it, you know. Uh, my my mother said she just never understood where it came from the uh, the idea to uh, sell things and make uh, and make a profit to, to you know make more things was just always very evident to me. Oh so, yeah. I mean, it, it may have had something to do with coming from somewhat humble beginnings. We we I, I did not come from um you know from a lot of money or anything like that. Um, so it was very you know I, I grew up in a in, we never. We were never like suffering, but we did not have a lot to go around necessarily. Um, so, you know, if I wanted to make a movie, you know, it, it really, you know, in a backyard and I needed money for fake blood, I needed to come up with that. <laughs> and I needed it to make sense to spend the money. So uh, that's kind of the, the entire beginnings. Uh, I started traveling to uh, movie conventions and selling my little movies. And of course, so little movies slowly turn into bigger movies and uh, uh while i was traveling the country and selling my movies at these conventions uh at a very young age i was you know building towards making my first you know 90 minute feature um so i did make my first 90 minute feature when i was 18 years old and um through traveling the country promoting it i basically got discovered by a distribution label who hired me to work in marketing, and that was pretty much my my actual foot in the door in show business. Um, so I, I worked in marketing and I worked in post production, and that was pretty much my college. I was hired right right when I turned eighteen. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and and like uh, hired to like move out of state because I was in Ohio, and uh, I got hired to uh, live and work on the East Coast. As I was hired as an intern, and they kept me full time. So I. I mean, that's really where I learned the ins and outs, relatively speaking, of, uh, of the movie business. And what I really learned about the movie business was that uh, distributors are stressed and filmmakers are delusional. And <laughs> everything else is kind of in the middle. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't think you're, you're wrong about that. 
Well, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely overly simplifying it, but that is, if I had to, like, really, you know, cut it down, that's what I learned. Uh, I learned that, you know, that, that the business is a very specific way um, and that distributors are frustrated by it and filmmakers are in denial of it. And that's kind of... So once you let go of that denial and start acting like a distributor, but you're a filmmaker, um, there's at least the potential for some degree of success. Um, of course, you know, for years and years, I, I was, you know, broke as a joke, um, living with multiple, multiple mates and desperately trying to get movies off the ground. Uh, I did not, uh, you know, wake up one day and I was like, oh, sweet, I'm 20 and now I make movies for a living. That didn't come out until I was a, about 11 movies in to my career that I was able to, uh, to do it as a, as a career, really. So uh, definitely a lot of sacrifice went into it. Oh, I'm sure. So I first uh, saw your movies at the Gonzorific Film Festival mm-hmm. that Andrew Shearer, who's been on the podcast before, I did an interview with him back in June. How did you meet Andrew? Uh, did you meet him at a convention? Actually, I mean, I met I met Andrew in person at a convention, but we actually met on a message board for independent film fans and makers. Oh, wow. Yeah, Andrew and I have been friends since I was 15 years old. Um, met on, it was called Be Independent was the name of the uh, the message board. Um, and uh, we struck up a friendship on there talking about movies. And then we met in person at a convention in Akron, Ohio. And uh, the rest is kind of is kind of sturdy. Um, when I was 18 years old, I was making my first feature film, uh, a movie, a little movie called Marty Jenkins and the Vampire Bitches. Um, <laughs> when I was making that movie, I actually shot the uh, the opening of the movie, the first three minutes of the movie. I actually shot with Andrew at his house with his friends acting as the uh, the characters, and uh, that was the first time I went down to Georgia and visited Andrew and met his wife and and. Uh, from then on, uh, when I came back to Ohio after living in New Jersey for a few years, um, I made it a point that every single year I uh, would go to the Gonzorific movie show. I think I only missed the first two. So uh, I make a nice 10-hour trek every year to go see it. Oh, wow. Well, 10 hours each way. <laughs> so that's I guess that's dedication. Trek, but uh, worth it. Absolutely worth it. So, uh, but Andrew has been... A, uh, a booster of mine and a very close friend of mine for uh, just an incredibly long time. Um, sometimes I'll call Andrew and we'll be talking about something and I'll start, you know, uh, telling him a story about something that happened to me. And he's like, I know, man, we, we talked about it when it happened. And I'm like, oh, crap, we've known each other a really long time. <laughs> you know, I think so. it is really important for filmmakers to kind of have that bonding with other filmmakers, especially independent ones. Definitely. Well, and, and I've noticed that, um, filmmakers are, um, they're surprisingly kind. Um, what, what I found is, uh, I don't want to like name names cause it'd be weird, but like what I've found is that there have been filmmakers that I consider to be idols of mine or I consider to be heroes of mine. Um, and when I've gotten in touch with them for whatever reason, uh, they've been some of the nicest human beings in the world who, you know, literally they meet me and they're like, oh my God, you make movies, you're in the family. Like, it's so cool to, to hang out with you and talk to you. 
And then I've met filmmakers that are, you know, technically considered my peers, people around my own age or people who make movies in the same budget range as mine. And they're the standoffish ones. It's very strange. Um, I, you know, I'm friends with people who have worked on studio movies as director and they treat me more like a person than some people who, uh, you know, make movies on my own level. So very, it's a strange, uh, a strange business. Um, and like any business, uh, with art involved, there are egos. Uh, I go, uh, most filmmakers an ego, but you know, Andrew is probably one of the least ego driven people I know. Absolutely um, agreed. Yeah. And one of the reasons I love coming to the Gonzerific show is because I love seeing the stuff he and his friends put together because, you know, as my career has grown and I've, had to, I've done more and more commercial work, I love to see stuff that is made strictly out of passion. It kind of helps keep me honest. It's like a breath of fresh air. That's exactly how I feel. Like, I I think I've been going for the past five years. This mm. will be my sixth year this year. And it's like, out of how many times I go into a movie theater each year, I, no matter what movie I see, I always feel the most inspired when I come out of a Gonzerific showing. Definitely. And it's just wonderful because, like, I've gotten to become really good friends with uh, with the people who make these movies. Um, I have been in a Gonzerific movie, and it was, like, one of the most important things that ever happened to me in my entire life. And I'm not exaggerating. It really meant a lot to me. And it was just beautiful being a part of that and beautiful seeing, seeing it. And I've seen a lot of your movies there. Well, you know, what's funny is I had been, you know, driving the uh, the 20 hour round trip uh, a couple of years in a row. And uh, one year while I was down there visiting, um, I actually shot a short film with Andrew and uh, Countess Samala and uh, uh, called Completely Defective. And the next year we showed it at Gonzo. And that was the first time after all the times going and traveling all that way to come. That was the first time I had had something showing. And it was really fun to be a part of the screening in that way, you know, to have some of my work show. And then afterward, Andrew was like, you know, if you wanted to show something, like, that was always allowed. And I was like, I didn't know that or I would have been making short films every year. <laughs> so then I started uh, showing a short every year at the, at the Gonzo show. I know that I've seen some of them. I have a horrible memory. And I distinctly remember some of them I believe are yours. But I don't remember the names. Um, I, 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 I had to think. I know I showed Christmas presents. Yes. Um, which was a really cool, like, spooky Christmas short. That was film. so scary. I remember that one. That was a that was a fun. I, I love holiday themed stuff. Um, I think that's apparent, but that is that's something I've always enjoyed. Um, and uh, I remember I showed that, and then the next year I showed Scary Clown, which was a Halloween-themed uh, short. Um, that one was very cute. Year, Christmas Threesome, which was a, a comedy I did. Really? Every year I tend to do, as like my Christmas card, I do a Christmas-themed uh, short film, and then I show it at Gonzo so, the, the following year. So, yeah, it, it's been awesome showing. I think one year I showed a segment of my film Scare Waves, um, but I don't know if that was the year you were there. That was like a 20 minute piece. So that was a bit of a bigger piece. Um, but, uh, it's been, it's really fun to get to be a part of, of the whole thing. It's, it's, it's been, 
an incredible experience. And anybody who's listening to this, if you're anywhere near Athens, Georgia, you really should get your butt to the Gonzarific movie show. I mean, there's no reason not to. Oh, yes, I am. I always volunteer. Like, I'm going on this date to see it. I'll drive you guys. <laughs> no, I, I, I always I always go. I'm already I've already got my travel plans ready. So Oh, that's so awesome. Oh yeah, I'll be there. And well now I get to hang out with Ethan's uh beautiful daughter too, so that's even better. She's the most precious thing. Uh, <laughs> I could go on forever about her. Uh the movie that I was in last year, um, and then the the werewolf turned into a person. Yeah. <laughs> that was composed entirely of the things that she had said to Andrew and his wife. Yeah. No, I loved that one. Having having adults repeating things that a child said non sequitur, it's, it was too good. Way too good. I'm so glad people enjoyed that movie, because... As I said before, I'm not over exaggerating. It is one of the highlights of my life. Uh, it's, it was it was very awesome, and I'm I'm glad that uh, that you got to to get in on the fun because that's like that's pretty much like that seems to happen to a lot of people. The more they um the more they go to uh, Gonzo shows, the more likely one day we to end up on that very screen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you don't just direct horror movies; you do direct comedies as well as um more dramatic comedies correct absolutely all right so tell us a bit about some of those movies that you have created sure um i've done uh, a vast amount of different genres um from family movies i did a movie about a talking dog um i've done western uh i've done romantic comedy i've done family dramas uh, I, I really like to be extremely diverse. In fact, the majority, this is the first time I've taken a horror movie to Kickstarter. Usually on the crowdfunding uh, platforms, I usually take a movie or a project that I would have trouble getting funding for otherwise. So usually a comedy or a, a drama or something like that. Um, I, I just love the idea of telling varied stories and of using different muscles to tell the stories. I love the idea that sometimes I'm telling something scary, but sometimes I'm telling something that you might consider heartwarming or, uh, or very, very sad. Uh, those things really interest me. I really enjoy that you are a varied filmmaker because I think a lot of people limit themselves when they try and stick to just one genre. Well, and, and I've been told by a lot of people that that wasn't like, wasn't an option to to uh, to do varied projects, and uh, in my experience, it's just not the case. You can you can absolutely do a, a, a ton of different projects. I uh, the first non horror movie I ever did was a uh, a film called Depression the Movie, which was a uh, a kind of a drama comedy, and uh, I decided to do it no matter what anybody said or thought. I was just like, nope, I'm doing this. Don't care, and. Uh, it ended up being, you know, very critically and uh, financially successful. Um, and then I did the first Babysitter Massacre. And after that, I did my Talking Dog Christmas movie. And I got a lot of people telling me I was insane uh, for doing it. And it was also very successful. Um, that was actually the first movie I ever made that sold internationally and played television and went into Walmart and family video and, and things like that. So... I think that, you know, we only, we restrict ourselves 
is the problem. It's not really that, that uh, we're pigeonholed by anyone other than ourselves. That's my opinion anyway. You know, I really do agree with that. And I think a lot of people focus on being the horror director or the dramedy director or the drama aficionado director. So I think it's great that you don't limit yourself. And I feel like a lot of people can learn that from you because you've had uh, success from straying from horror. Well, I think I would go crazy if I didn't do other genres. Um, I, 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 mean, I remember when we did A Bulldog for Christmas was the Talking Dog movie's name. When we did that film, that was literally right after Babysitter Massacre. And I... I was like, I need a palate cleanser. <laughs> like, I need, I need to do something where I'm not filming women tied to a chair screaming for their lives all day. I'm tired. <laughs> my, my heart is tired. You know, I, I, I can't, I can't do this forever. I need a break. So, um, you know, it was nice to to do something different that felt different. Um, but I, you know, I can't fault somebody if they're if they're just strictly making the movies that they want to make, then they're winning. Oh yeah. Um, but I just, there are so many different stories I want to tell and so many different uh, types of movies. I mean, I want to, you know, when I go to the grave, I want to have directed pretty much every genre there is. Um, and I'm not far away. I mean, there's like fantasy um, and science fiction are like the genres I haven't touched yet. Although I did just produce a fantasy movie, but I, I was not the director. So, um, you know, I, I to me, uh, variety is the spice of life uh, when it comes to filmmaking. So, I agree. So, getting back to Babysitter Massacre and the Kickstarter campaign, what was it you that decided that you know this should be a franchise? It was uh, basically not to get into really long, boring legal stuff, but. Uh, Babysitter Massacre was produced uh, by a company called Alternative Cinema or and Camp Motion Pictures. Um, and Camp Motion Pictures owns the film Babysitter Massacre. Uh, but they do not own the intellectual property or the sequel rights. Um, and this was brought to my attention recently. Uh, be, let's be real. You know, when the, the contract was signed, it was over five years ago. Uh, I've made a lot of movies since Babysitter Massacre was my sixth movie, so I've made ten movies since then. And you know, I, I I just was not quite aware of the you know I knew that I had sold the film to them, but I wasn't aware of the details. So when I looked into the details and realized that wait, according to this, I I have the intellectual property rights. Uh, I called up Camp Motion Pictures and uh, we talked about it, and they were like, "Yeah, your contract says that that's the case." So from that moment on, I was like, you know what? We had just done a re-release of Babysitter Massacre in limited edition Blu-ray, and it had done really well, and it showed that a lot of people remembered the movie and were still very fond of it. So I said, to hell with it. Let's do uh, let's do something crazy. Not only have a sequel, but we'll do two sequels. We'll make it into an instant franchise. Just add water. So that's uh, that was a, a big, uh, scary, and exciting decision I made, was that I was going to make this into a into a into a uh, trilogy, into a franchise, because I felt like with the first movie, I tried to put everything I loved about slasher movies into it. And uh, I feel like I overall achieved it. And then I realized, well, the only way I could achieve it more 
would be to make it into a franchise because there's nothing more slasher movie than having a couple of sequels. So, uh, so you know, so here we are um, working on the sequels, and uh, part two is called Sleigh Bells. It's Babysitter Massacre Sleigh Bells, and uh, it is a uh, Christmas themed slasher splatter kind of movie. It's also a bit of a whodunit. The original was also a bit of a whodunit, but this one will play more on. Uh, on the fact that, you know, the kid, spoiler, but the killer from the first movie is at least assumed to be dead or, you know, is he? So the whole movie becomes a, a, a whodunit of who's killing people now when we're very relatively certain that the killer's dead, although we're not positive. Uh, maybe he isn't. Maybe he'll never die. You, you know, you have to watch it and find out. Um, but then the uh, part three is called Babysitter Massacre Overnight, and it is a... Uh, camping slasher movie because that's the last yes. uh, trope I haven't gotten to because you know there was no camping in the first Babysitter Massacre Babysitter Massacre 1 takes place on Halloween night so Babysitter Massacre 2 takes place at Christmas and Babysitter Massacre 3 is going to be a summer camping kind of slasher movie um, and it's actually going to be um, similar to how Slumber Party Massacre was uh, part 3 is actually going to be unrelated to the original story it's going to be a new slasher a new group of people a new group of characters and a whole it's going to be a whole other movie of its own. Um, but, you know, there will be babysitters and there will be massacres uh, and camping. <laughs> <laughs> I am very excited about that. I love slasher camp movies. Sleepaway Camp is one of my favorite movies of all time. Here. I actually, uh, I, I forced myself not to do it, but I almost called uh, Babysitter Massacre 3 Unhappy Campers, which is, <laughs> is Sleepaway Camp 2 subtitle. I almost, like, straight up took it, um, but I decided not to because I didn't want people to know I was that much of a nerd. I was like, you know, let's leave a little mystery about uh, whether or not I got laid in high school. Uh, <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just not... <laughs> completely lift a subtitle from another movie. Uh, but I really, I really, there was a solid, like, you know, hour that I was like, maybe I should just call it Babysitter Massacre Unhappy Campers. But I didn't. So, uh, and this is the first place I've ever mentioned that. So you can feel special knowing I confided in you. Yay. <laughs> what have been some of your favorite moments being a director? Oh, gosh. Um... You know, that, that that's a great question because it changes every year as you get older. Um, I, you know, I used to... It's it's tough. Um, okay, I guess the best way to put it would be like this. Um, so the first Babysitter Massacre uh, kind of established the way that I made movies here in Ohio. Um, once I made that film, I never stopped working. I just went to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. And I uh, started, you know, that was when I started finding people that I would work with again and again, um, because I, I like I still like my um, assistant director is this is the guy I got that worked for me first on Babysitter Massacre. He's still my assistant director. Oh, that's so cool. Um, you know, and, and, and a lot of those people have been in my movies again and again and again. And one of the lead actors in Babysitter Massacre, uh, Mary Lee Osborne, she recently uh, left Ohio and moved to Texas. And at her... Um, at her going away party, um, I almost couldn't make it for, I can't remember why, but I almost couldn't make it. And she got really mad at me, uh, until I said, okay, okay, I'm going to be there because she said that, um, it was babysitter massacre that basically made her all of the friends she has now. Oh, um, 
because all of the friends that were at her going away party were friends she had met from being in movies and babysitter massacre was the first movie she'd ever been in. So if she hadn't been in that first movie, she would have never been in any of the other movies. Right. And I was very taken aback by that. Oh, uh, well, cause you don't, you don't make, you don't sit there rolling camera and grinding out the film and, and, you know, popping Tums like they're candy. Um, thinking like, I'm going to make everybody find their friends for life. You're just trying to make a movie. Yeah. And uh, so to realize that some of the, for lack of a better term, collateral damage is that people have made friends for life on your own sets. It's pretty cool. It's yeah. pretty cool. So um, it was never my goal, but, uh, but I'm very happy. Uh, so I think that that's probably my happiest moment as a director has just been um, has been when I realized that I unintentionally did something very nice for someone else because you work so hard, you work so many hours, um, you just put your head to the grindstone and you don't lift it up until you're done, and you you kind of lose sight of a lot of things. Um, so when somebody comes to you and says like. You know, I made some of my best friends in the world on your movie sets or or, you know, I can't wait for you to make another movie just so I can hang out with all these people. Uh, it's startling because, you know, from my perspective, I do love doing it, but it's it's work and it's long hours and it's tiring and my feet hurt at the end of the day and I just want to take a nap. And uh, but other people's enthusiasm has always been a driving force to keep me positive and keep me happy to be doing what I'm doing. So I think just seeing people support my work, not because they feel they have to, or because, uh, necessarily, you know, they feel any obligation, but more so that they just love it is something that's really startling. Um, cause you know, one day you wake up and you go, when did that happen? When did, <laughs> when did it start being for other people too? Uh, I'm glad it has because I think otherwise it would be a pretty lonely life. Mm -hmm. But, but uh, that's something I never would have expected. You know, having people tell me that you know some of their fondest memories were um, a theatrical premiere of one of the movies they were in, uh, things like that. So it's just, I guess, it's just the realizing the impact that the work has on the people who have collaborated with me is something that's really meant a lot to me. Um, you know, I've, I've had um, a couple of screenwriters. Uh, that I've worked with, you know, their first films, their first uh, scripts to ever be filmed, edited, and released were directed by me. And having them tell me that, you know, I uh, I checked something off their bucket list, that makes me very emotional. Uh, I can't, unfortunately, like, I'm, I'm under contract, I can't talk about it yet, but I, uh, over the course of this year and uh, a little bit of last year, I worked on a really uh, large project for hire, and uh, it took up like all of my time and I was very quiet on social media because I can't talk about exactly what it is, but uh, I had a writing partner on it, you know, that I brought on to help me write the project. And uh, I, I would like get home after, you know, working 40 hours in two days and feel like crap and I'm so tired. And then I talked to my writing partner who's not in town. He lives in New York. And, uh, he would just be like, uh, he'd just be like, are you kidding me, man? Like, this is a dream come true. Like I wrote all of this stuff that's being filmed right now and it's being done by people I respect. And I 
can't believe my name is going to be on it. And I'm just, I don't know how to take Because <laughs> from my perspective, I'm just doing work. I don't, you know? Um, so it's, it's crazy. It's crazy to think that, um, I mean, you never really know until you're looking back what you're actually doing. So I'm just happy to know that I wasn't just making movies, although that would be enough, I think. Uh, that I've also been able to make friends and make memories and, and made some people really happy. Um, and, and I've done it for myself too. I mean, uh, man, the, the last movie I, I produced, uh, that wrapped a couple weeks ago, um, we got Jeffrey Combs in it. Oh my God. I saw that. Yeah. We had Jeffrey Combs in it. And, uh, uh, I'm a producer on the project. I picked him up from the airport and had dinner with him and all of them sitting there thinking like, I'm hanging out with Jeffrey Combs from Reanimator and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And uh, why is this happening right now? <laughs> because I would have when peed I was my a pants. teenager, I decided to be a loser playing with camcorders. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I find myself also kind of stopping dead and going, holy crap, I can't believe that what that my life is what it is. So I guess that's it. You just never know where it's going to take you. I mean, shoot, last year, that project I was talking about, the one I can't really publicize yet. Um, shoot, last year, I, I worked with Brink Stevens, which uh, a lot of people may not be aware of who she is, but uh, she was one of the original Scream Queens. She'd been in over 100 movies, and when I was growing up, I watched tons of movies with Brink Stevens in them, and I had a poster of Brink Stevens on my wall, and I got to direct her, and it was crazy, and it was awesome. Um... So, I mean, every now and then I just have moments where I just can't believe it's my life. Uh, that was a very long-winded and uh, not perfectly directed answer to your question, but it was me talking nonetheless, so I will count it as a win. You know what? That, <laughs> you know what? Your answer was more perfect than I could ever describe because I agree with that. Like, one of the best things I with starting my podcast is I got to know is I got to know a new friend, a couple new friends better, and I got to reconnect with an old friend. And they absolutely love doing the podcast. And I'm just, and now they're all friends. And we all talk to each other throughout the day, like every day. It's amazing how passion just brings good things. Yeah, and it's just, like, I don't want to say blessing, but it's really cool. <laughs> I, 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 I really I really sincerely believe that when you uh, when you do something you really believe in it just good things just start to happen. Um, I don't know exactly why, but I sure am glad that that's the case. Now it can take a while. I uh, I you know was being sued by my uh, creditors uh, because of making movies, but eventually things turned around. So wow, you know. really? I didn't know they could do that. Uh, that you that uh, you you can be sued by people you owe money to. Oh no, I knew that. I just didn't know if, about making movies. Oh, you mean you mean that that uh, that I was I was you know maxing out credit cards to make movies. Oh, I didn't know that was what you meant. Sorry. Oh no, you're fine. You're fine. No, like creditors, like um, uh, you know, people. I uh, I was in debt and it went delinquent, and they were calling me and sending me letters and then eventually I started getting court summons and I was like uh-oh this is getting really bad <laughs> oh wow uh this was a long time ago now oddly enough um but 
you know, there, there were a lot of sacrifices made to, uh, to make the movies, you know, um, my first couple of movies, uh, like destroyed me financially for the first half of my adult life. I'm sure that I mean, was tough. It, it is. Uh, but you can't, unfortunately they can't hear me shrugging, but, uh, but I'm just like, eh, what are you going to do? <laughs> I, it was what I wanted to do, man. I mean, they can't put you in prison. Um, so, <laughs> but I highly, highly recommend that no one listening to this put their movie on a credit card. Don't do it. Don't do it unless you have no other choice Yeah. Uh, in the world. I mean, I also, I sold plasma. Um, I mean, I did uh, lots of things to pull together the, uh, the cash to make movies and to keep myself afloat while I was making movies. But, you know, I look back at those, uh, those harrowing uh, moments in life that kind of taught me what I was made of, and I, I, I laugh. <laughs> I don't... Uh, that's the only response I really have is I, I laugh at it. You know, I'm not, uh, I mean, I'm proud of myself for making it through, <laughs> but like, I think we all have to, uh, to eat a lot of crap, you know, in our, in our lives to get where we want to be. Um, especially in the younger years, younger years are just crappy anyway. So oh, yeah, tell me about it. I, uh, so, you know, I, I spent my younger years broke, but I made movies, so I'll take it. I mean, I've always been a proponent of, like, yes, money is nice so you can pay bills and, like, eat food, but it, like, it doesn't matter if you're not happy. No, 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 you will, you will do, um, very poorly if you have money and you're unhappy. Um, I, my last day job was four years ago, and I was very unhappy there, and, uh, it, it, it was weird how it worked. I was dirt poor for a really long time. And I just kind of put my nose to the grindstone and was like, well, I'm going to keep working and I'm going to keep working and I'm going to keep working. And eventually the money just kind of slowly came, you know, it just slowly the movies I made earned a little bit and slowly I got enough work to where I could survive or at least hopefully survive. Um, you know, I don't, I don't get a, uh, a weekly or bi-weekly paycheck. I, uh, I make money as I earn it. <laughs> that's the way, that's the way of the, the world when you're a, when you're an independent filmmaker. So, uh, but, uh, you know, but, at the, but it's funny. I, I, when I first started working for myself, uh, as a filmmaker full time, that was like a big, like everyone wanted to interview me. Everyone wanted to talk to me because that was such an unusual job for someone, especially in, in Ohio in Dayton, Ohio, you know, I think I'm the only full-time director here. And, uh, you know, so everybody would want to talk to me and ask me questions. And one of the things they'd always ask is like, how did you get to that point? Like, how did you plan to get to that point? And I was, and then I, that was when it dawned on me. I was like, man, I never planned on it. I thought my whole life I would be in poverty, but I'd be making movies and I was just fine with it. So, you know, that's, that's the level of, uh, whether you want to call it dedication or you want to call it idiocy. I, I, I think both are fair assessments. <laughs> but, no, I, I think it's like realizing what you need to do to make yourself happy. Well, and, and that's definitely important. You know, um, uh, I did a, uh, a coming of age kind of drama comedy called nothing good ever happens. And, uh, there's a line in that movie that was actually, something I've been saying for a while now that kind of blew my mind the first time I, uh, I thought of it, which is, uh, uh, 
I said, uh, I mean, I'm not going to quote the movie. I'll just quote myself. It's easier, <laughs> less complicated and convoluted. But uh, basically, one day I woke up and I was like, all right, two questions for you, brother. Talking to myself in the mirror. I'm like, two questions. All right. Uh, is making movies the only way that you're going to be happy? And then if the answer is yes, then question number two is, do you want to be happy? Because that's the harder question to answer. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> so um, it wasn't a mind-blowing uh, realization that movies would make me happy. The mind-blowing realization was that I was willing to make decisions every day to feed that result. Um and to understand that just because I want to be happy doesn't mean I will be happy all the time, but it's an end game. It's a, it's a, it's, you know, if I do this today and I have to eat some crap, will I be happier later? Well, if, if, if you're eating crap, but it's to make a movie, then yes, you will be happy later. So shut your mouth and get to work. Uh, so uh, that was a huge turning point in my life. Prior to that, I mean, um, I lived a life pretty much uh, entirely depressed all the time. Uh, I still suffer from depression, but um, but my early and 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 my early mid twenties um, were really dark, and uh, I didn't have a lot uh, uh, going for me. And uh, and actually, the big the big moment, if 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 uh, if I may go on a real weird. Uh, deep tirade. Um, oh, please do. I had made a couple of movies. At that point, I made I'd made almost I'd made like two and a half movies. I had one movie that wasn't done yet, but I filmed it. And on the 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 second and third movies, I had kind of a bad experience. Um, just personal problems and problems with some of the people I was working with, and it just kind of made it not fun. And I got really depressed. And I didn't know what to do with my life. And I was in a superb amount of debt. And through a, a series of, of fortune, uh, uh, fortunate events, I had enough money that I bought a, uh, a DSLR camera, but a cheap one, like a $400 photography camera that took video. And this was in 2010. So that was when those were kind of new. Yeah. That was the new thing, was make your movie on a DSLR. Now that's very common. But at the time, that was pretty new. And I was like, okay, I have an HD camera. For the first time in my life, I own my own camera. And I wanted to make a movie. Uh, but I also kind of didn't want to make a movie because I had been burned out. So I ended up making Depression, the movie, the movie I had mentioned earlier. And I started shooting that movie and... I made that movie with an attitude that that might be the last movie I ever made because I was like, you know what? If I make this movie and it's not a good time, it goes poorly. People don't like it, whatever. I may just say that I'm done. So I made that movie and I screened it and not only was it very well received, but, um, I released it myself. It was a weird movie and, uh, it was a strange movie. I didn't think anyone would care for it. So I made a hundred copies myself and started selling it. And I sold a hundred copies in a month. And then I made another hundred copies and I sold that hundred copies in three months. And before I knew it, I had settled all of my debts, um, from the money I made from making depression, the movie. That's awesome. And 
I was confused. <laughs> I, I was like, what? Making movies has always been a detriment to me financially, but now all of a sudden you're saying, like, I'm going to get to live because of making a movie? <laughs> that doesn't compute. I mean, I had a day job, but that day job was just paying the rent. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't letting me get ahead. So all of a sudden I had gotten ahead. And then after I made that movie, I went into Babysitter Massacre, which was a movie that was financed by a producer distributor. So uh, we didn't make, I didn't get rich off of it or anything, I, I, but I made a little bit of money and got to keep working. And I was like, holy crap, I just made another movie and this movie's been released nationally and people saw it. So then I made another movie and I was like, holy crap, this one got released too. And then I made another one and it got released nationally and I made another one and it raised a ton of money and I got released nationally. And it just, it kept snowballing. And uh, by that point, I didn't have a day job anymore. I was like, okay, I guess my life is just figuring out how to make yet another movie. <laughs> and that's what I wake up and do every day. Um, I wake up every day and I go, okay, how am I going to make another movie? <laughs> And there are a lot of different answers. Um, you know, the, the, the journey is not always without bumps. Um, when I made uh, my Western, which was called Calamity Jane's Revenge, um, I had noticed that there was a marketplace for Westerns. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make one. Um, and I was talking to some people who were willing to finance it. Um, but I had decided that the only way I wanted to make it was if it was... Because they told me it needed to be, like, a famous Western name, you know, that you could market. And I was like, well, Calamity Jane is a famous Western name, so I want Calamity Jane, and I wanted to star my buddy Aaron R. Ryan, one of the most ta talented actresses I know. And I was told flat out, like, uh, no, uh, we really don't think it would be wise to make a Western starring a woman. Um, and I was like, well... The only problem is there's no other story I want to tell. So I guess, uh, peace out. So I made the movie with my life savings <laughs> and that was a very scary experience. <laughs> um, I just, I, I literally, I opened up my bank account and I emptied it out and, uh, and I made Calamity Jane's Revenge and you know what? It got a national release in the United States. It got released in Brazil. It got released in China. It got released in the United Kingdom. Um, and it made a, uh, a nice bundle of money. Uh, and I risked everything I had <laughs> to do it. Uh, I, I still don't know what... I don't know if it was just spite. But I was like, screw you guys. I'm going to make this movie anyway. But I did it. So... Um, you know, and that's one way to do it. You could just risk your entire life on it. Yeah. Uh, I remember every day that we were on set, I was just like, it's just as the clock ticks and you see money like being spent, you're just like, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> please don't, please don't rain out our day. I can't afford to shoot another day. Like, there will not be another shooting day, you know. So, but I did it and I'm, and I don't regret it. I mean, obviously, cause it ended up working out very well for me, but, um, but you know, that's one of the solutions when I say that I wake up every day and I'm like pacing the house thinking like, how can I get another movie made? Sometimes the answer is, I guess you just spend all of your money. There you go. So, you know, again, I don't really recommend people do that, but then again, I do stupid stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but that was a, and that was a big moment for me too, because 
deciding to spend my own money was a very a very scary thing. I've done it I've done it since, but I that was the only time I spent all of it. <laughs> um, any other time I spent a portion of it, not all of it. But it was a western and we needed props and costumes and and uh, we uh, we had uh, former WWE superstar Al Snow come and do a cameo in it, and we needed all those things to help sell the film. So, yeah, I just uh, broke the piggy bank open viciously and, uh, and went and made it. So um, I, I'm trying to remember exactly how I got on that tangent. but uh, Just do it. But, well, yeah, it, that's just it, but that's so that's what I do for a living really is just wake up in the morning and figure out how I'm going to make another movie, whether it's doing a Kickstarter or going to producers and distributors and trying to raise money from them or going to independent investors or pulling it out of my own wallet. Um, it, it depends on, you know, multiple circumstances. Um, so it's but that's what I do. I, I had somebody once come to me who was very cynical i mean because when i when i decided to do this for a living i had a lot of people tell me i couldn't do it um none of those were very nice people um but they were like you know how are you gonna do it and i was like i i guess i'm just going to like how does anybody do anything you just do it and uh but i had one person uh once tell me like uh they were working crew on a set and they were just you know, moving lights and, and plugging in extension cords. And they were like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do what you do. And I was like, dude, I don't think you know what I do. <laughs> I don't think very many people know exactly what I do every day and how I make my living. It's a, it's a lot of stress. It's a very high stress job. Um, my mother is fascinated by how often I develop projects and then they don't happen because money <laughs> falls through or, uh, or I get told just flat out no. And it's like, that's just a, another day in the office. So it is a tough business. But then again, you know, when people ask me, how do I do it? How do I do it? How do I become a filmmaker for a living? Uh, I may tell them it's really hard, but you know, if, if telling them how hard it is stops them, they were never going to do it to begin with. Yes. So, uh, and I don't mean that to be negative. I, I mean that to be positive. Like if I, if somebody says, how do you, I want to make movies like you do, how do you do it? And I said, you can't, that shouldn't stop them. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say you can't, but I might say it's incredibly difficult. And if there's anything else you'd rather do, you may want to do that instead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause you know, full disclosure, I have no education. I, don't, I, I mean, I'm not afraid to, to tell people that, but I have, I have no education whatsoever. Um, I'm a high school dropout. I dropped out my sophomore year of high school because I wanted to make movies instead. <laughs> Noticing a pattern. Um, <laughs> but uh, I have no education. I have no other skills. I make movies. That's what I do. That's who I am. Period. So... Again, they can't hear me shrug, but what can I say? <laughs> it's who I am, and it's what I want to do. So, you know, I, I definitely never had that, like, fallback plan that a lot of people talk about, you know, having something to fall back on. I don't, I don't have that. Uh, I guess if I really had to, I could probably sell juicers on a boardwalk. <laughs> you know, I could probably do that, you know. Excuse me, sir, sir, ma'am. Uh, your children look very, uh, look very sweet, but I'm sure that you have trouble getting them to eat their vegetables. Well, did you know that you can mix fruit juice with vegetable juice? See, I could do that. 
In fact, I should start doing that tomorrow. That's that's how you the, can fund like all of your movies. If the Kickstarter it's at seventy percent right now. If it doesn't hit a hundred percent, I'm finding a boardwalk and I'm finding some producers <laughs> and maybe some Ginsu knives and I am going for it. All right. Um, are, how many boardwalks are there in Dayton, Ohio? I would guess zero. So I got to get some hammers and some nails and build. <laughs> Jeez, this sounds a lot like filmmaking. Oh <laughs> my gosh. That was, that was something somebody asked me what they said. Like, how do you expect to make movies and sell them in Dayton, Ohio? And I was like, I guess I'll build it. That's actually, that was literally the, the response. I was like, well, I'll build it. So. I guess my answer is always, you can always build it. Uh, it'll just be really hard. <laughs> but life is going to be hard anyway. Might as well do something you want to do. Life is going to be hard whether, like, you choose to go into, like, something like the financial industry or, like, upper management, what have you. You might as well put in that hard work to something that you enjoy. Oh, definitely. Well, and I'm very fortunate. You know, I don't have... I mean, I chose not to have... Um, you know, certain obligations. I don't have, I'm not married. I don't have children. You know, I don't, nobody relies on me. I mean, I just in December got a dog. That's my big thing. I, dog I is 32, precious, like, by two, the way. Two weeks ago. Thank you very much. She is incredibly precious. Um, but like, I literally wouldn't get a dog because I was like, I can't have anything relying on me. <laughs> cause I'm, cause I'm so insane. I'm that I just make movies all day. So, uh, you know, that tells you the kind of, like, sacrifice and, and discipline you have to take is to be like, I'm not doing these things because I want to do this. Um, so, and, and, you know, not only at 32 years old, or, well, 31 years old, I got my first dog. Um, at, at 29 years old, I got my first bed as an adult. I did not have a bed. Uh, I considered a bed a frivolous expense. So, I never had one. Dear God. I know. <laughs> out loud, it really should be told to a therapist. But I'm sorry I said that. But I was just like, I can't. Like I work from my bed. I know, and I mean, I have a bed now, and it's phenomenal. Um, but uh, it's just that was a sacrifice I made. Uh, you know, was not to spend whatever a bed would cost. I didn't spend it. I kept it for movies or or you know whatever I had to do. Um, that made sense to me, so I did it. <laughs> you know what? I can't fault you for that. Like, I'm trying to make my room into kind of a workshop space, and I have a folding camping mattress that's actually very comfortable, and I'm considering getting rid of, like, my queen-size bed and bed frame and using that mattress that can be put away in case I need more room for something. Dude, that's, I mean, that is a, a sincere, one of the reasons I, I didn't have a bed for so long was that um, when I started, well, when I started as an adult, uh, like when I was doing, you know, Depression, the movie, Babysitter Massacre, everything, I mean, I was, I had a bedroom that I, you know, lived in, slept in, and edited in. You know, I did everything in that one room. And I'll never forget, uh, I, I rent a house, and... Uh, I had two roommates, you know, three-bedroom house, two roommates, and one of the roommates moved out, and I realized, like, wait a second, I think I can afford to absorb his rents. <laughs> and and I turned his, I'm actually sitting in his old bedroom, which is now my office. Um, 
so I, I was like, I get an office now, and it's crazy that I go somewhere to work every day. Of course, it's you know across the hallway from my bedroom, but it's not my bedroom anymore. Um, but it, but it's but that happened very incrementally. <laughs> you know, like two years, three years of, of having the, that many roommates, and then I got an office, and and then about four years later, another roommate moved out, and I decided to just rent the whole damn house, and I turned his bedroom into a photo studio. So now I have a photo studio and an office. That's all of them. And a bed. Who'd have thought it? You know you know who's really thankful of that? Anyone who dates me. <laughs> because I did not have a bed for a really long time. But I'll tell you right now, when you, when you don't have a bed and someone dates you for like eight months, they love you. Yes. Because otherwise they would be like, you know, my back is awfully stiff. I'm going to get back on Tinder. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, someone does really love you if you do not have a bed. They're willing to spoon on the ground or on your couch. Um, they're very, very kind-hearted at the very least. That's so. true love. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> All right, Henrik. So are there any thoughts you have about just filmmaking in general or what you... I know we covered a lot. Um, well, if I, uh, the biggest thing I would I would want to say about filmmaking in particular is that we live in an incredible time to want to be a filmmaker because you can make a movie that's accessible with your phone and post it on YouTube and potentially everyone in the world will see it. Um, that doesn't mean they will, but they could. And that's, you know, uh, 30 years ago, not even 30 years ago, 15 years ago, when I was, when I was you know, 16 years old... Um, Making movies was really expensive. Oh, yeah. I mean, like the cheapest cameras that could give you good results were two thousand, three thousand dollars, and that's on the bottom end. So, <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> now, now with the way filmmaking has been democratized, you can make a movie anytime you want with anyone you want and show it to anyone you want. So, there's no better time, and there's no excuse anymore so if you're out there and you're like oh, i really want to make a movie but stop saying but you know and stop saying no don't sit around I, I've, I've said this before and I'll, I'll happily say it again don't sit around saying oh i want to make my movie or i want to write my story or i want to paint my painting whatever i want to do a thing but the timing's not right or i don't have the right tools or i don't have uh, enough help or i don't have whatever stop telling yourself no because everyone in the world is going to tell you no. Don't join them. You have to be the first yes you ever hear. That's the only way you'll get anything done. If you start saying yes to yourself and you start acting like a person who gets yeses, you're going to get more yeses. That's just the way it works. So don't join the chorus of no's in life. Join the yeses. And of course, if you're me, then the first yes was your mother and then yourself. But that's different. Because <laughs> I'm a mama's boy and my mom is always believed in me wholeheartedly. My mother uh, supported my movies and hadn't even seen one for years. And she was just like, you do what you got to do. Of course, I'm sure she was worried sick about me. But, you know, now she sees my tax return and goes, okay, maybe you're going to be all right. <clears throat> but, but honestly, that's the biggest thing. Stop saying no to yourself. Start saying yes. Stop saying I can't do this because and start saying I can do this if. And you will do things that are incredible. I wholeheartedly agree. You know, I, 
as someone who does want to make film, it is really hard telling yourself, yes, you can do this. It doesn't matter if you don't have anyone else. So I really do appreciate that coming from you and that you have been successful because you have told yourself yes. Well, and, you know, just know the first <clears throat> little movies I made on a camcorder to see how a camcorder worked were me in front of a tripod, nobody operating the camera because no one wanted to play with me. It took years, but I didn't care because I just loved it. I loved it so much. So, you know, I believe that anytime there is any challenge in front of you, if you throw creativity at it, you'll, you'll beat it. Just throw more creativity at it. Um, cause they're all just problems. Oh, I don't have a camera. Well, that's a problem. Solve it. Oh, I, we don't have any money for props. Well, that's a problem. Solve it. it you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to solve it by getting more money. You may solve it by coming up with a different way to do the props or, or you may solve it by just getting more money. I, I you know, I can't, I can't answer because there are a million solutions to every problem so but uh i hope that uh anybody who listens to this yourself included uh feels inspired because um nothing feels better than doing what you want to do um nothing feels better than going to sleep at night uh exhausted because you worked as hard as you possibly could i'm one of those people that hard work is its own reward i don't know uh why i'm that way uh but i am so I'm happy every night I can't keep my eyes open past 11.30 because I'm so exhausted. Although, that's kind of a joke because I don't think I ever ever went to sleep before 11.30 my entire life. Oh, gosh. But that's a whole other story uh, for a whole other time about uh, what kind of man-child makes movies for a living. Um, <laughs> All right. Henrik, do you still have more time to talk? Or is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, I mean, I've got a little bit more time. I, I do want to just mention, because we, I mean, we didn't turn this into a plug fest, which is good and fine with me. I really would rather have just a really good, candid conversation. Um, but I will just mention that until November 2nd, uh, uh, Babysitter Massacre 2 and 3 will be funding on Kickstarter, and you can find them at the aptly and incredibly uh, uh, named uh, domain name, helpmekillpeople.com. I wanted to bring that up so bad. Please do. No, no, because I, I could not believe that it was available and that I was able to register it and that I still haven't gotten any information from the FBI. Um, the FBI is pretty busy I, I right now. HelpMeKillPeople.com. That's the website you go to to see the Kickstarter. That is incredible. And I will be linking that on my website when I post this. Awesome. I and I appreciate it very much. And just uh, so anybody listening knows, if uh, if you you just want to you want to help, but you don't have a lot of money, I mean, for fifteen dollars, you can get a special thanks, and you'll get emailed digital files of the movies when they're done. So, uh, you know, we we try to make it so that if you don't have a lot of cash, you can get in on it, no matter what. So, um, and uh, the average person has been contributing $55, which literally gets you a copy of both movies on DVD, Blu-ray combos, signed, and a special thanks credit. So we're not, we're not one of those campaigns that's asking you to give us 100 bucks just for a copy of the movie. We're, we, try to, we try to represent the working man. Yes, and I think that's like extremely good of you to do that. You know, I think um, because I do see a lot of Kickstarters and Indiegogos that like you donate like a large amount of cash and you get like a very small benefit if a benefit at all no and I, that's something that has discouraged me from some kickstarters um uh, from contributing is that i'm like i just feel like it shouldn't cost an incredible amount of money 
to get a copy of the movie when that's the whole reason you're contributing is you want the movie to exist in the first place, you know? Um, cause that's what you're doing. You're putting out this thing saying like, uh, you know, hypothetically, if this project existed, would you pay for it? <laughs> that's, that's what you're doing when you do a, a crowdfunding campaign. So, um, yeah, we tried really hard to make it, um, accessible. So, you know, 15 bucks, you get a special thanks and downloads of the movie. And, uh, a lot of people have opted for that $15 and it adds up and it helps. Um, at the, at this exact moment, we've raised ninety one fifty seven nine thousand one hundred fifty seven dollars toward our $13,000 goal. And we've got 30 days to go. So if anybody wants to help out, I appreciate it very much. Uh, other ways you can help out are just, um, you know, follow me on Twitter or find me on Facebook. Uh, my name is basically impossible to spell, but you can see it in the show notes of this episode. Um, and just kind of, you know, Follow me if you uh, if anybody out there has any questions about filmmaking or anything like that. I try to be as accessible as I can. You know, just don't uh, threaten me with violence, and basically, I'll talk to you. And uh, <clears throat> I'm just I'm just grateful every day that this is uh, this is what I do and who I am. So uh, I don't know how else to put it. I get I, it's very I'm getting I, yeah, I must be getting old because I'm getting really philosophical. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, we get very philosophical about some of the dumbest things usually talking about movies on uh, uh, when we're doing movie episodes of this podcast so well good as long as I, as long as i'm not breaking the formula too much <laughs> no you're not we call it the extra unordinary for a reason <laughs> fair fair all right so we like to go like off topic on t- on tangents like i just love knowing information about people and that's why i like doing this podcast sure all right thank you so much for listening you can follow henrik kuto online i'll post his all of his social media on our webpage so you'll be able to look it up that's extraordinary.com is our website where you'll find that information so i have been addison And I'm Henrik Kuto, and thank you so much for having me, by the way. Sincerely, I had a really good time. All right, thank you so much for being a part of this.